Our topic tonight is faith and science, or perhaps it's faith versus science. In fact, in my notes, in my appointment, in my calendar, I have uh, a different subtitle for this presentation tonight. It's how to talk to a scientist. And uh, I hope to share a number of these ideas with you. But let's start with this faith versus science. So often we see a conflict. And this is something the Lord has placed a burden on my heart to talk about. We need to be able to talk to one another. I am a Christian and a scientist. And uh, if I don't talk to both sides, then I'll be sort of schizophrenic maybe. But um, this is a this is an issue that I have had to live with for many years. So, I, this is why I'm here. So, a little introduction. Let's make sure my remotes are working. So, uh, I teach physics at an Adventist University not too far from here uh, in a small department. We're only three full-time in the department. But... Um, over the past several years, I'd say it's about 20 now, I have been tasked with teaching a course called Issues in Physical Science and Religion. And this is a thinking class. This is where we think about what, it, what does it all mean? Not just do science, but the implications of science. How does this fit in with the rest of our view of the world? Uh, besides three full-time professors, we have a number of part-time professors, and so we have a nice collegial group, and uh, I really have enjoyed this. I'm trying to get my notes here to appear in sync with the notes on the screen, and this will take just a little bit of rocket science. So much of the material that I'll be sharing with you, uh, both today and tomorrow, grew out of this course issues, where we think carefully, and I think, it's, I think it's a useful thing. And I think there should be more courses like this, a little, little advertisement, where we not only study a topic, but see how does this fit with my Christian experience. We ask hard questions. Uh, out of this have, has grown some presentations that I have given and not all of these were on the same continent. Uh, some presentations in Switzerland, in Argentina, Moldova, Germany, and not all in the same language, which I have to mention because uh, that's become one of my major hobbies, is studying human languages. I like computer languages too, but uh, human languages. So uh, I've heard some various languages amongst us the cafeteria, and I'm hoping to slip up to some of you and ask what language you're speaking. Even if I don't understand it, I'm fascinated by languages. So uh, my own hobby language learning has taken me to being able to survive in, a, in six, but probably um, just enough to make mistakes. Uh, so if anyone wants to try out other languages, I love speaking something besides English. But we won't do that this evening. These presentations, in turn, led to a recent sabbatical 
uh, fall of 2015, my wife and I had the privilege of going to the Adventist campus outside of Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, a fascinating experience. So in the course of all these different activities, I have had the privilege to think carefully about faith and science. So let's think for a moment. If, um, well, let's start with this common, well-known expression. Houston, we have a problem. And actually, that's an apocryphal statement. It wasn't quite the way it happened in the actual Apollo 13 mission. Uh, there were words similar used by John Swigert uh, calling back to NASA mission control. But in the movie, Apollo 13, Tom Hanks said it this way, Houston, we have a problem. And that expression has gone into the public uh, consciousness. So it has also not only been widely used, but it's been modified. And some of these images I pulled off the net, I just found were too cute for words. Houston, this is hammock. We're losing George. Over. <laughs> or uh, the three puppies trying to get through the door at once. Yes, we have a problem. Or what about this one? Uh, Houston, we have no problem. So this brings me to uh, another rewording. Some people feel this way. They feel with Houston, or let's say with science and technology, with all the modern conveniences we have, we have no problems left. This may not be our view, but there are people who have this view of the world. Science answers it all. Science solves all problems. I would say that is a tremendous statement of faith. Such faith in science that uh, some people would give up other beliefs because, oh, this disagrees with science, so therefore it's, it's not true. That really gives me pause. That one faith, a faith in the efficacy of science, would then permit people to abandon other faith. So maybe there is view, uh, there is room to have a little suspicion of science because, oh, we might lose our faith. In fact, uh, there are people, some dear saints, who would not only view science with suspicion, but would encourage young people, you better choose another field of study, because this is just too dangerous. Uh, you, you may lose your faith. And this, this just highlights the, the possible controversy that uh, we see religion on one side, science on the other side. There's a line down the middle. We can't blend the two. In fact, there are other illustrations to kind of highlight this problem. For instance, this one, uh, a flow chart of science. Now, you can't see, you can't read it, so let me just give you some highlights here. Uh, start with get an idea, perform some experiments. Does the evidence support this idea? Yes or no. If no, well, it's a bad idea. Start again. Or if yes, now we have a theory. We've created a theory, and uh, we will use this theory to better understand the universe. It sounds really good. And then we'll use it to do more experiments and, and study further. 
This is, this is uh, the plan of science, how it's supposed to work. Discover new evidence. Now maybe this new evidence, I'm approaching the bottom of the flowchart, maybe this new evidence will cause me to reconsider my theory. Or maybe it will just support it. Now if it makes me reconsider, you see I have to go back up to the top. That's where the arrow goes right back up. So I may have to make a new theory. This is a very well-planned system. And we may not always do this, but this is how science is supposed to work. Now, I'm ashamed to say that some of my colleagues in science view faith this way. A little simpler. Get an idea. Ignore contradicting evidence. And any new evidence is just, that's discovered is also ignored. That is a crying shame. This is even worse. I got this off, again, off the web. Science will fly you to the moon. Religion will fly you into a building. You know, there are, there are people in this world, in this country, in our communities, who view our religion as equivalent to fundamentalist or jihadistic Muslims. They say, we can't trust you because you don't trust science, because you will do irrational things. This is the, the controversy, the opposition, science versus religion. And we do see it all around us. This t-shirt, science speaks of facts without having absolute certainty. Religion speaks of absolute certainty without having facts. That's so denigrating. And I think that the truth here, the truth about the science and religion argument is there's an undercurrent of fear, hostility. We don't listen to one another. And if I'm in a science mode, there's a tendency that I might not think of the religious side of my experience. Or if I'm in church and I'm praising the Lord and I'm uh, studying the Bible, there's a tendency that I could distance myself or temporarily disconnect from the scientific side. There is this disconnect. There is, a, in any science and religion discussion, there is hostility. There are misunderstandings. These misunderstandings, repeated misunderstandings, are fueled by miscommunication. And it's mostly just not trying to understand where the other person is coming from. There are different assumptions. There are different starting points, different worldviews. And if we cannot connect with the person we're talking with, whether it's a student in our school or uh, a neighbor, if we don't understand their worldview assumptions, it's hard to have a conversation. And it, it takes intentionality to, to step back and say, now, what is this person, how does this person see the world? Unwillingness to listen. This is the biggest problem. It's not science and religion. It's a human scenario. Very common human scenario. We should work at fixing this. This is something that can be fixed. This is not something that we should be willing to just go on. And I would say, for those in other fields, 
you probably have similar experiences, uh, although the science versus religion argument may be uh, very high in my view, visible on my radar screen, but uh, similar things happen across the board. And we feel threatened by what, what we do not understand. So if we would make an effort to understand, then perhaps we would not feel so threatened. And maybe then we could examine these assumptions and say, now, and I do this with my students, if you follow that to the logical extreme, is this logical now? Are you living with assumptions that you can, that you can live with? Or are you not really examining your thinking? So, science versus religion. I would tell you they can coexist. In fact, science can be done by Christians, otherwise I would have to drop one or the other. In fact, science originally was based on the biblical worldview. And uh, there will be a couple of references in the materials which um, you either have or will, will have which support this view that give a little more evidence for this. But modern science was developed from a biblical perspective. So this is why I put the flowchart of science supported on the Bible. It's the biblical worldview that makes science possible. So I would say that's, uh, that's the best evidence that it can be done. It is only when we replace the biblical foundation with atheistic, materialistic presuppositions. And, of course, this is what we're seeing today, atheistic science. There we do have a conflict between science and Christianity. But there need not be a divide between science and religion. It was the belief in an eternal, changeless, loving, and reasonable God that led the fathers of modern science to expect his creation to be understandable. So science could only work if we expect the universe to be intelligible, that we can understand it, that it would be logical, and this is, this is the biblical foundation. God made it, and he made us. So we have a right to expect that we could understand. And we can look in other belief systems. For instance, animism. Science did not, here I'll wave at this one, science did not arise from a foundation of animism, where no unifying principle is, is ever looked for in nature. There are only incomprehensible local deities. Uh, the spirit of the tree, the spirit of the river, the spirit of the mountain. Uh, but we don't expect it to make sense. Okay? In animism, there is no foundation to build science. Well, let's go to another, uh, another worldview. Polytheism. I think of the Greek and Roman gods who are always squabbling and fighting. Again, we don't see that unifying overarching pattern uh, if we see things that we don't understand in the world around us? Do we go and try to figure it out? No. Uh, in the polytheistic worldview, we simply 
say, well, this was a bad day for this god, or two gods fighting. Uh, we don't try to understand. Science can't come out of this foundation. Uh, let's turn to Eastern mysticism. Well, in this worldview, uh, we're not trying to understand the, the world. We're just trying to transcend it, put it behind us, uh, rejoin uh, the impersonal oneness, uh, sit and, and stare at our navel and say, um, uh, this is not where modern science comes from. Now, there may be value in these different worldviews, in these different traditions, but science couldn't arise from them. And I'd even say the, the idealism of the classical Greek philosophers could not directly lead to science. And that would be because, well, they didn't go look at the world. They mostly just sat in their corner and thought how things should be. So without experiments, without tests, without uh, testing my ideas against the world, there's no way to do science. That's not science. So. Where do we stand? Modern science was built on the Judeo-Christian worldview, the biblical foundation. How did we go wrong? If it didn't arise from any of these others, in fact, I would say it really couldn't. The worldview would not allow it. It was only in the Christian view of God, man, and nature that we expected nature to make sense and that we expect man to, as part of this, to be able to make that connection and understand. The Bible says God created the world, created everything, and it was good. And in the case on the, on the sixth day, he said it was very good. So, uh, when we look around us and we see God's good creation, and we have this... this uh, feeling that that we understand or interest in understanding that curiosity this is this is a god-given gift also okay so science was invented by christians almost entirely and a little quote from nancy percy in the biblical worldview scientific investigation of nature became both a calling and an obligation the rise of modern science cannot be explained apart from the Christian view of nature as good and worthy of study, which led the early scientists to regard their work as obedience to the mandate to till the garden. God didn't just say, uh, go enjoy yourselves. He put them to work. And in order to work in the garden, you need to understand how gardening works. You need to understand some biology, some uh, horticulture. You have to study. Well, what is this but science? So, the uh, related quote, Eric Snow says, the worldview, oh, here we go, the worldview of Christianity was absolutely necessary for the rise of modern science. And then Duhame and Yaki claim there is a direct connection between Christian metaphysics and the birth of a self-sustaining science. But let's take a quote from Francis Schaeffer. 
Modern science was started by those who lived in the consensus and setting of Christianity. Christianity was needed for the beginning of modern science for the simple reason that Christianity created a climate of thought which put men in a position to investigate the form of the universe. Oh, I guess I hadn't pushed the button yet, I'm sorry. It put us in a position where we could investigate the form of the universe. And again, the early scientists also shared the outlook of Christianity in believing that there is a reasonable God who created a reasonable universe, and thus man, by the use of his reason, could find out the universe's form. Now let me just add one little proviso. I don't think we can understand everything. I, I don't. That would be, uh, that would be unbelievable, unbelievable pride. But I do think that it's because God gave us reason that we can understand anything at all. So I'm not afraid to use my reason. I'm not afraid to be a scientist. And I would encourage you in dealing with people who have different interests, different emphases of their study, to remember it's all to God's glory. It should be. If we're doing it right, it should be to God's glory. These quotes were from Schaefer's book, Escape from Reason. I'm going to tell you a little bit more tomorrow, those of you who are able to be in that presentation tomorrow afternoon. This man is the reason I'm a Christian today. More, more tomorrow. It's an undeniable fact that modern science grew out of the biblical worldview. But now we have another question. Is it cause and effect? So, did Christianity cause science? Because that's sort of ironic. Now we see them as antagonists, right? I would say it's reasonable. It's reasonable to say that there's a cause and effect thing going here. The belief in a single God, creator of both man and nature, who designed nature to operate according to logical, comprehensible laws, and made God, made man, in his image, that means we're creative also. We're in the, made in the image of the creator God. And we are able to understand at least some of what he has done. Again, I don't think we can understand everything. Uh, but we're able to understand some. This provided the philosophical soil in which science could grow and prosper. The expectation that the universe is ordered, logical, reasonable, and that human understanding could grasp some of these patterns. So, I have some underlines. Single God, creator, not only of man, but of nature. Logic, comprehensible laws. When I respond to logic and I say, wow, that's cool, I see a pattern, I'm admiring God's creation. He is creative, and he made us creative. And this ability to understand is a God-given gift. I have some quotes from some of the pioneers, the great men of science, which may surprise you, some of the way that they saw their endeavors. Let's look at Copernicus. This may remind you of a general science class back in your childhood. But who is Copernicus? No quiz today. Uh, he's the one who said 
the earth goes around the sun, not the sun around the earth. Right? So, uh, a very important person in the history of astronomy and, and science. Copernicus said, in speaking of the philosopher, well, that means the scientist. In the day, it was called natural philosophy. Science was, was part of philosophy. He said, it is his endeavor to seek the truth in all things to the extent permitted to human reason by God. He's not working against God. He's working with God to the extent, I see some, hum, some humility here, to the extent permitted by God. Here's another quote. To know the mighty works of God, to comprehend his wisdom and majesty and power, to appreciate, in degree, the wonderful workings of his laws. Surely all this must be a pleasing and acceptable mode of worship to the Most High, to whom ignorance cannot be more grateful than knowledge. Everyone has heard of Galileo, sometimes called the father of science. Uh, he wrote a book, The Two Sciences. He, he is credited with separating out the concepts of, of uh, experiment and theory. So, father of two sciences. And again, the text is a little small, but uh, he said, the prohibition of science would be contrary to the Bible, which in hundreds of places teaches us how the greatness and glory of God shine forth marvelously in all his works. And is to be read, above all, in the open book of the heavens. Let no one believe that the reading of the most exalted thoughts which are inscribed upon these pages is to be accomplished through merely staring up at the stars. No, it takes study. It takes research. There are such profound secrets and such lofty conceptions that the night labors... This man is a poet here. <laughs> the... Night labors and researches of hundreds and yet hundreds of the keenest minds in investigations extending over thousands of years would not penetrate them. And the delight of searching and finding endures forever. He's just described heaven. He's just described eternity, studying God's creation forever and learning more and seeing more of the beauties and the, how it all works. I sometimes tell my colleagues at Southern, um, well, the theologians, uh, yes, you have a great job, important job. We, we need you and we, we uh, appreciate working with you, but aren't you sort of going to be out of a job when the Lord returns? We'll, we'll all be sitting at the master's feet. But the scientists are going to be just starting their career studying God's creation. And I would submit to you that this is how Galileo sees his research. He's not seeing this as explaining the universe without God. And so I can also do science this way. Science can be done this way. Let's uh, look at one more little bit uh, sarcastic quote. I had to throw this in. I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect intended us to forego their use. 
So he says, don't stop thinking. Don't just take my word for things. Or don't take the Pope's word for it either. We should study ourselves. We should think God gave us reason. Now, yes, we can be, we can be tricked. We should use our reason carefully. We should use our reason as sanctified by the Holy Spirit and subject to the word of God. No doubt. But we should not abandon our reason. Galileo is quite a character. He rubbed many people the wrong way. There's a lot of interesting material about that. But this is just a kind of a cute little quote. Here it shows his self-confidence. I thank infinite God because he was so gracious to make myself as the first observer of wonders, treasures that for centuries have been hidden in the dark. Yeah, he's a character. My father had this expression I'd really like. Uh, so-and-so is not blessed by any lack of self-confidence. Well, we could all use a dose of humility. Uh, Galileo, unfortunately, was not only convinced of God's greatness, but he was also convinced of the greatness of Galileo. And he said, the intention of the Holy Spirit is to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. <laughs> So maybe there's a little bit of the conflict between science and religion when the, when the theologians told him, you must believe this. And he said, really? Really? Is that quite what the Bible says? And, you know, we have, we have examples of this. Uh, some people will say, I cannot accept the Bible because it teaches outdated thought. It's just myth. Have you ever heard that? What do you say? How do you answer? Do you just turn around and don't, let's not have this conversation. Because we can't, we can't talk. We, we are talking at cross purposes. It helps me to go back to the founders of science. Who saw it mostly as honoring God to study. But they're human too. They're there are, there are points where we, we must disagree. And um, I do use the Bible as foundational in, in my teaching. I may not teach calculus, teach mathematics out of the Bible, but the foundational principles, yes, they are, the, the, uh, they are there all the time and they support the mission and whatever particular we're studying. Let's move to Kepler. Kepler, who is famous for his three laws explaining the motion of the planets. My wife said, I'm not allowed to say anything more about Kepler's three laws, except the first one talks about the shape of the orbit, the second one talks about the speed of the orbit of the planet moving around the sun, and the third one tells the total period of the orbit, and that's all I'm allowed to say. Uh, no more math, but Kepler said, I feel carried away and possessed by an unutterable rapture over the divine spectacle of heavenly harmony. We see how God, like a human architect, approached the founding of the world according to order and rule. Here's another quote. I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. I, I, that just sends a shiver up and down my spine. 
That's what we are doing. We're thinking God's thoughts after him, seeing a little bit of what he intended. Of course, the world is not perfect. Sin has, has uh, blighted what we see. But there's still that order and, and much beauty. And we can look forward to a day when um, all of the problems brought by sin will be gone. And we'll only have the beauty and uh, what God intended. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, okay, we have the book of nature, God's work, and the book, the Bible, God's word. Many of the early scientists did see it exactly this way. No conflict. God is the author of both. It benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. Again, I see this humility and, and uh, excitement in studying God's work. Isaac Newton, probably the greatest of them all, in a survey uh, when... Scientists were asked, name the top scientists of all time. Isaac Newton is top of the list. You'd think maybe Einstein. Well, yeah, Einstein's up there. But Newton went farther from where he started than anyone else, ever. Actually, one quote I didn't include, he said, if I have seen farther than other men, it is because I stood on the shoulders of giants. So I, I see a humility there that I admire, although not everywhere in Newton's writings do we, do we uh, find that humility. But again, yes, he stood on the work of previous thinkers, the previous scientists, but he saw farther than anyone had before. And he said, the wonderful arrangement of, and harmony of the cosmos would only originate in the plan of an almighty, omniscient being. This is and remains my greatest comprehension. He's, he's saying, my work as a scientist is secondary to my understanding of God. In fact, Newton wrote quite a bit about theology. Some of it was very strange. But he, he knew you cannot disconnect the study of the universe from the study of the creator. Science goes with theology. It is the perfection of God's works that they are all done with the greatest simplicity. He is the God of order and not of confusion. Ironically, it has been said since, the most immediate impact of the Newtonian worldview was the breakup of the synthesis of the physical and the spiritual. Ah, in other words, people use Newton to justify separating into two different camps, this dichotomy between science and religion, they trace back to Newton, who himself would never have accepted this. Our Newtonian heritage still molds our common sense view of the physical world. And that's from uh, a quantum book, Physic, Quantum Enigma, Physics in Encounters Consciousness. So really uh, getting into some very interesting ideas. The very order and comprehensibility that Newton and others saw in nature are now used by 
modern scientists to try to remove God from the equation. I would say that's just as silly as if I say, okay, I now understand how radios work, or how a computer works, and then I would claim that because I understand, it could come into existence by itself. That's ridiculous. My understanding of the design does not remove the need for a designer, for a maker. In fact, it only, my understanding only emphasizes the need for God. We cannot understand what we see without God. And although some people try to remove God from the equation, I would say they haven't thought far enough. So let's go back to our assumptions. We should be aware of our assumptions. We all see design in nature. There are patterns that we see. Well, the Christian would say these patterns are due to God's design. The atheist would say all natural explanations, there's no God, no supernatural. Both some Christians and some atheists say that the antagonism is inevitable. We can't get around it. And some atheists would say that religion is, is uh, well, Karl Marx said, religion is the drug of the people, the opiate of the people. So it keeps you, keeps you dumb, keeps you not thinking. And there are those who say science is absolutely anti-religious. But I hope I've convinced you it doesn't have to be that way. Let's look quickly at what science actually is. So from a textbook that I am using just this semester, science is tentative, it's provisional, it gives possible answers. Science is predictable. The answers I have should let me predict new things and then test my understanding. Science is uh, involves observable things, repeatable things. We could do the experiment again or something very similar and we expect similar results. And our book adds one extra, fourth thing. We look for natural causes. Now, up to that point, I'm right there. But if we look for only natural causes, we now are in a situation where you have required atheism, or at least deism. An atheist, of course, is someone who doesn't believe God exists at all. A deist thinks, yes, God created the universe, but it just runs now, it functions. And in either case, God is not allowed to intervene. So functional atheism is what I call it. Uh, we don't let God work in the world. We say, I don't believe in anything supernatural. Many people are in this view today. And although I completely agree with the first three, I would say there's more than just nature at work around me. I see miracles. Yes, I see order and method. God created the universe to, uh, to follow cause and effect. There was a quote from Ellen White, which I actually use in, in my class uh, in one of the previous presentations. We should reason from cause to effect. This is the way God set up the universe. But he can still intervene. 
So let's compare the biblical worldview with the naturalistic worldview. I would say the biblical worldview is an open system. We have an explanation, but God can intervene. He can reach in. He can change something. He can affect what happens. God can be a new cause. He is the first cause. He started it all, but he can also act today. Whereas in the closed system, we say there is nothing else. This is all there is. Uh, there's nothing outside to have an effect. So both Christians and atheists who try to understand the universe are looking for the patterns and understanding what's happening in our universe, in our system. The only difference is whether they insist it's closed or not. And I would say the closed system, don't shoot me, I would say this is a sign of a closed mind that we're not open to the possibility, as scientists, some of us are not open to the possibility that there's something beyond our understanding. So, uh, to me, this is the fundamental difference. Open system versus closed system. Miracles. In the open system, God can reach in. Yes, there's order. There's, there are patterns in nature. This causes this causes this. It makes sense. I'm studying this, and it does make sense. But I allow the possibility. I don't rule God out. He can intervene anytime he wants. This is the open system. God is not limited. There's a great illustration by Christian apologist and writer C.S. Lewis. It's an analogy, but I, I really like this one. Suppose you put sixpence into a drawer today, and tomorrow you put sixpence into the drawer. Well, the laws of arithmetic can allow us to know what's in the drawer, right? All right. So we could look in the drawer, and what will we find? Six plus six is twelve, right? Uh, twelve pence we'll find in the drawer. I did not try to update this illustration to use American money. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but uh, what happens if a thief has been in the drawer? There's been some intervention, more than just the laws of arithmetic at work. We might open the drawer, and we might find there's only sixpence, not 12. So what would you think? Would you think, oh, abandon all math? Arithmetic failed? No, it's ridiculous. We would think someone stole the sixpence. It's not the laws of nature that have been broken. It's not the laws of arithmetic. It's the laws of the land. Somebody, a thief has been there. So it's the open system, again. And if a thief took sixpence, that didn't break the laws of arithmetic. And if we live in an open system, if our universe is an open system, we have the laws of nature, but God intervenes, that doesn't break the laws of nature. It's only if I mistakenly consider my drawer to be a closed system, or my universe to be a closed system, it's only then that I reach this incorrect conclusion. 
and confusion would only result then. I have another illustration which I also like. God is the painter. He is the master artist. Do we expect that God be limited by the rules or the laws of this universe that he has drawn, he has painted? Uh, an artist makes a beautiful image, beautiful painting, and it looks like a, a real world. And maybe in this real world, there are cows eating the grass and birds flying in the sky. Sorry, I, you have to imagine all those things on the painting. I'm not an artist, and uh, I was afraid to, to put a painting there for fear I'd offend someone who knows more about art than I do. But uh, we don't expect the artist to be limited by the painting, and we don't expect God to be limited by his creation either. So there are things in the universe that convince me of God. Fine-tuning. The earth is a privileged place. Things are set up just right. And this book, uh, The Privileged Planet by Gonzalez and Richards, 2004, well worth reading. Many things are exactly set up so that life is possible on Earth. The astronomers look at this and say, wow, maybe there is a God. In fact, it's really difficult to look at these, uh, the fine-tuning of the universe and not come to the conclusion that it is designed. It's designed for life. And this is our view, too, as, as believers. We say, this points to God. Well, if you're an atheist, you might find some other explanation. You have to work pretty hard to find another explanation. But you'd say, well, there's so many different planets around so many different stars and different galaxies and billions of galaxies in the universe. Somewhere it was bound to happen. It's just probability. Uh, we, the Earth is lucky. The Earth hit the jackpot. Well, if you, if you do the math, you'd find that that probability is incredibly vanishingly small. And even atheists who look into this carefully say, that is some jackpot. Even if you multiply by the number of planets that probably there exist, the billions of years that you've put in there to uh, let things happen, it's just, it's still not. Uh, doesn't seem impossible. It doesn't seem possible at all. So it just happened on Earth is not a very good explanation. In fact, the atheist has to come up with a new explanation. You may have heard of the multiverse. To my mind, the multiverse is a completely unsupported hypothesis. And that is, we don't just live, okay, we live in the universe. That means one thing, one whole thing, one cohesive uh, nature. But then there may be other universes, and that's a little bit... Uh, contradiction in terms, but millions, billions, an infinity of other universes with other laws of nature. And somewhere in one of those, things were just right to allow life and to allow us to be here. In other words, we, we find ourselves having to go to ridiculous extremes to avoid God. That's what that's how I see it. And it's more than just the earth and its position. 
there are fine-tuned constants of nature. You won't go through all these, but um, some things that even if there was a slight difference, the universe could not exist, let alone life in the universe. And just many, many things are designed. It takes a lot of faith to believe anything but God made it. But the, wor the atheistic worldview has so permeated our educational system that there is a danger. People studying science from an atheistic mindset without realizing that you, that is not part of science could be drawn into this view. But it takes a great deal of faith. Faith in... Uh, an infinity of other universes, which we have no evidence for, or faith in an infinite creator God. So I would say naturalistic science, atheistic science, is not science. It is just one particular type. It's not the only approach, because science wasn't developed this way. It's actually contradicted by historical facts. And here are a couple of references to recent papers which I published, and there's another which uh, is supposed to be coming out within a month, which um, brings out a lot of this material. So we're going to provide you with, with links to these. If you want to dig a little deeper, without the cute animations, I'm sorry. Some, some of the images are there, but uh, the content is there. Let's go back to our original question. Is there a problem? And if so, who is the problem? What is the problem? I would say, yes, there is a problem. The problem is not just us versus them. It's not science versus religion. It's poor communication. It's talking past one another. It's having different assumptions without investigating them, without considering, without even examining our thinking. And we should not be afraid of examining our thinking. Because God made us this way, able to think. We must pray that our thoughts will be subject to his, to his uh, spirit, that we will be able to understand. But uh, not investigating is not the answer. It will not be solved. The problem will not be solved by Christians ignoring the scientists or trivializing it. And it will not be solved by those on the other side ignoring or ridiculing religion. That is not the way. If we can say to ourselves, science does not necessarily disagree with our faith, it opens the door to a different type of science. Let's look at that just a moment. And again, trying to understand where people come from is the beginning of communication. So, I would say, if we look deeply enough, we will see that biblical science, biblically founded science, does give us some things which the materialist does not have. Motivation, meaning, purpose for doing what we do. We acquire knowledge, and this is accompanied by awe and praise to the Creator. This adds a new dimension. So what was just a two-dimensional thing becomes three-dimensional. The, the materialist may marvel at what he sees, but gains no further insight 
when we look at the world around us, we are filled with praise to God. So this is the completing step. This is the logical conclusion to our study of God's creation. I would also say that there is something, uh, I like to call it the onion effect. Some implications of how we do science from a biblical point of view. We are finite, God is infinite. So why would we expect that we'll ever understand everything? Maybe there'll be things that we'll never completely understand. I don't really expect there to be a theory of everything, (laughs) despite the books by that name. And people say, oh, we've almost understood how nature works. Uh, Yeah, they've said that 100 years ago, and they were wrong. They said it 50 years ago, and they were wrong. I expect the joy of unfolding discovery throughout eternity. Creation may be infinite, it may be finite, but God is infinite, and he could easily add infinite detail to creation. That's exciting. Not just new details, but like an onion. You take off a layer, and there's a new layer which seems to hold together differently. It's not quite part of the previous one. Maybe we have a new law of nature, and one of these, uh, one of these references, which you have the links for, goes into repeated historical examples of where science is given a completely new explanation and it's, it holds together. And then a new one, which also holds together, but different fundamental assumptions, different understanding of the universe, like the layers of an onion. So these infinite layers, which I, I actually expect to see, will be with us forever. We'll be studying God's creation throughout eternity. Always more to learn. Forever new realms to study. And that sounds like an Ellen White quote that I remember. We should experience the awe, the wonder, and heartfelt praise. And that will be throughout eternity. David said, I will meditate on your wonderful works. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. When we see his creation, we praise. So I would say this is a different kind of science than what we first think of. True science. When based on a biblical worldview, science sheds this materialistic, these blinders that keep us from seeing the full picture. Science can then admit that the natural world is not everything there is. It also regains its internal consistency, its meaning, its purpose. It becomes true science. Ellen White said in Councils on Education, page 66, All true science is but an interpretation of the handwriting of God in the material world. Science brings from her research only fresh evidences of the wisdom and power of God. Rightly understood, both the book of nature and the written word make us acquainted with God by teaching us something of the wise and beneficent laws through which he works. I don't think I could say anything beyond that that would be worth saying. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we are humbled 
We look around us. We see the evidence of your mighty hand. We thank you for the wonders of creation. We thank you that you have made us able to understand at least a small amount of what we see. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to put the creature in the place of the creator, for worshiping your work instead of you yourself. Help us to change this. Help us to feel that awe, to praise you as the logical, completing step of our study, whether it be study of your creation as a science or whether it be any field that you have placed an interest in our hearts to investigate. Thank you for that creative urge which you've placed in each of us. Help us to deal with those who don't understand the full picture. Help us to be willing to be patient with them, but not be threatened. Help us to engage in true science. We give you the praise. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.